Hello and welcome to the Journey Church. It's my pleasure to be with you. We are talking tonight about the flesh and the spirit with a question, which shall we serve? Which shall we serve? Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5. The fifth chapter of Galatians will begin in verse 16 and go through verse 26. Uh, if you look in your Bible there at Galatians 5, 16 through 26, you might have the heading that says, Walking in the Spirit. The Bible says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and they are contrary to one another, so that you, not, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another." As Christians, we enjoy wonderful freedom in Christ. We enjoy wonderful freedom in Christ. Uh, Romans 8.31 tells us we have freedom from sin. Uh, there's the freedom from the law of Moses written in Romans chapter 7, verse 6. And then even here in Galatians chapter 4, there's freedom from the traditions of men. And it's truly the desire of Christ that we be free. If you'll just look over here at Galatians 5 verse 1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so, you know, the reality is we, we must not allow freedom to, to become a license. That is, a freedom without restraint. Uh, I guess that would be probably the best way to say that. We have, Christ, we have freedom in Christ, but... We should never pursue freedom without constraint. Um, we don't need to, uh, and if we're not careful, the desires of the flesh can, uh, you know, reap self-destruction in our lives, as it says right here in verses 13 through 15, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. To prevent this, the Apostle Paul commands us, therefore, in verse 16, as we have read, to walk in the Spirit. And if we do so, we will not succumb to the desires of the flesh. Does that mean the desires of the flesh will disappear? No. It, we will not succumb to the desires of the flesh. And whatever dangers there might be in fulfilling the lust of the flesh, they are thereby diminished. And so you're always going to have probably those desires as, as you move on to completion in Christ, as the Scripture says, but to fall to them is a different matter. And so perhaps a good place to begin is by asking this question, why make any effort to walk in the Spirit?
Why should we make any effort to do it? And, and why not just to succumb to the, to the desires of the flesh? Because after all, that's, that's literally what our flesh wants to do. It's just going to be a war until we die. Well, that's, yeah, that's right, it is. That's why the Lord Jesus said, consider the cost of, of following Him. Um, so the first, I have five points for us tonight from the text. Um, pretty much we're just expository. Uh, it's an expository message going through this text. But the first point is that the spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another. That's in verse 17. Look what it says. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So that's why you do the things you don't want to do. And you do the things you're not supposed to do is because the flesh and the spirit are at war. They are in opposition against each other as it clearly says there in Galatians. Is the spirit here referring to the Holy Spirit? Or is it referring to the human spirit? Well, in this case, it's referring to the Holy Spirit. And the context of the epistle certainly suggests this to be the case, though the Spirit, because it says in Galatians verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5, look what it says. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So the context gives it up. Through the Spirit we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Well, that's not the human spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Um, in verse 25, look what it says. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. His argument there in verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. That wouldn't make sense if we were going to walk in the human spirit. And I do want to caution folks. I hear often about folks walking in the Spirit or living in the Spirit or being in the Spirit. And everything that is, in most cases, what I've observed has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It's their human spirit and their twist upon the errors of Scripture. Uh, or excuse me, their twist on the Scripture into error. Um, you know, I, I am struck by something as a pastor in the days in which we're living, um, seeing that churches are, are closing their doors for the rest of the year for whatever reason they have chosen. Uh, you hear of people leaving and, and they're not willing to tell you why or speak to you about their going. And, and it's just, you know, there was a recent poll that just mentioned that about one in three church members are not coming back to church since the pandemic. I think it's too early to, uh, to make that kind of prediction, but I will tell you this. There are far more people attending church that are attending church for a feeling than they're attending church for a transformation. I do believe that with all of my heart. And those who are looking for transformative truth and those who are looking for their lives to be transformed, they're going to be at church. They're going to, be, they're going to faithfully follow the Lord. But those who are impetuous and perpetually getting their feelings hurt or not feeling loved or not feeling apart, they're never going to find a place to be a part of. And you know why that is? And, they'll, and, and here's what they'll say. They'll say, well, the Spirit told me. The Spirit didn't tell them any such thing. The Spirit of God would never tell a person to leave the faithful ministry of a pastor who exposits the text faithfully each week and, and teaches the Word of God as best he can and offers a place in his church for those people to grow in fulfillment. 
um, they're, they're, the Spirit of God, listen, those places are few and far between. The Spirit of God's not going to tell you to go down to the newest place with the shiniest windows just because you're going to feel better. It's a transformative action. You know, we've said at the Journey Church, we magnify Christ through ministering to people. And I've been asking myself, well, what do we really minister to? What do we really minister to them? And I've, and I've thought about the 20 years of preaching that I've done, and I've made a lot of mistakes as a pastor, but this is one mistake I haven't made. I have consistently preached transformative truth. I have consistently preached the Word of God, whether folks like it or not. We, you have people, they don't understand why we're studying repentance, or why are we studying the Spirit, or why aren't we studying this. They're never going to be happy. That's it. They're just why, why, why. But that has never affected me. We teach the truth. And God is, and listen, God, it, the Bible says He is searching the world over for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. This is not the human spirit. This is not my twist on the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit of the ever-living God who is God Himself. So rant over. That's just, uh, that's just free. I'm sorry that took a few minutes, but... Uh, that's just something that's in my heart, unfortunately, that I'm seeing come true even in my own ministry. It's just, it's just the facts of life. People are going to be people, and nothing's going to change that. But those that want to be transformed, they're the folks that are going to go with you, and those are the folks you want to go with. All right? So with that all being said, you know, the, the text mentions here, I'm still showing you that this spirit that's walking in the spirit is speaking of the Holy Spirit. Paul says over here in Galatians 6, verse 8, look what it says. He says, For he who sows to his flesh will to the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So what's he talking about? Reaping everlasting life of the Spirit refers to the Holy Spirit. It can't refer to anything else. So while the flesh pulls us in one direction, the Spirit of God would have us go another direction. That's exactly the purpose, is to pull us in the direction we're to go. And so like the two opponents fighting for our soul, we see the flesh and, the and, and its opponent, the Spirit fighting. The Christian needs to decide which one he's going to serve. It, he, you either serve one or you serve the other. If you follow the lust of the flesh, you, can, you cannot do the will of the Father. Look what it says. It's the second part of verse 17. It says it specifically. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So stop trying. You've got to make a decision. Um, my wife and I are doing some work on our home. And right now we, we've, we've got a contract. We've got all these things that that, that we're going to do, and we're down to one thing, the color, and we have two choices, white or not white. That's it. We have two choices. And you would think that that would be an easy choice, not for the amount of money that's going in. It's a very important choice, but we can't have both. You either have one or the other. Same thing with the, the spirit and the flesh. You choose which one you're going you're gonna to serve. You're either going to choose the flesh or you're going to choose the Spirit. And that's the dilemma. That's a dilemma that is, that is described in detail in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. For the, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it, but I'd like you to write it down, Romans 7, 14 through 23, because in that you see how the flesh will enslave us. 
Paul speaks how the flesh will enslave us, but with the help of the Spirit, the flesh can over can can be overcome. Where does he say that? Later on in Romans 8, 12 through 14. I'm currently doing a Sunday series out of Romans 8 at this time called Life in the Spirit. So we must choose who will be our master. You've heard it said before, man cannot serve both God and mammon. What, let me tell you something, a Christian can't serve both his flesh and the Holy Spirit. It just won't work. And the lusts of the flesh are the Spirit of God. We cannot serve both. So which one do you choose? As we continue, we need to give more reason, though, to serve the Spirit. So number two, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And I want to try to make this very clear for you. If you're under the Spirit, you're not under the law. Led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Look at verse 18. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Well, letter A, what does it mean to be under the law? Well, in the context, the law has the primary reference to the law of Moses. Where would we know that from context? Over here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Is that what you want? Do you want to be under the law? What does the law do? The law has one purpose, and it's to condemn you. Do you want to be condemned? Just to be condemned, to feel condemned, to walk around in the state of condemnation. Um, the purpose of the law was twofold actually to reveal sin. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Turn over a page and look at it. In verse 19, it says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgression, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of the mediator. So what is the purpose of the law? What does it serve? To it was added because of transgressions. It, 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 so what does it do? It reveals sin. And as you read in Romans 3.19, Romans uh, 3.19, it condemns the sinner is guilty. And then verse 20 says the wages of sin is death. Okay? And so uh, it, to condemn the sinner is guilty, Romans 3.19. And so to be under the law then means to be under the state of condemnation. Now, does that mean a believer walks under condemnation? No, we have Romans chapter 8 to tell us all about that. Just finishing a series just on Romans 8, 1 through 4. And uh, join us on Sundays. You can see it or go to our website, www.yourjourneyonline.com, and go to the messages, and you can see the life in the Spirit. There's one that's called No Condemnation. But what does it mean to be under the law then? Why would Paul say we're not under condemnation? Romans 8, chapter 1, and right here he'd say, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not be under condemnation. Is it a contradiction? No. Is it a contradistinction? No. Is it a conflict in the Scripture? No. It's the same author saying the same thing. A lot of people live in a state of fear. They live in a state of... Uh, of their feelings, as a matter of fact. They're paranoid and they're worried and they're just, that's just, that. I'm, I don't know if those people can change, to be honest with you. They're, they're so wrapped up in their flesh. And uh, they, they probably don't like a preacher saying that, but that's exactly what a preacher's supposed to say. It's provocative. Uh, we're to be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplications make our requests known unto God, and the peace of God will pass understanding. So paranoia and worry do not fit with the peace of God. When Jesus said specifically, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, I will give you my peace. Right? That's what Jesus says. So what is this state of con condemnation? It is this feeling of constant judgment. 
It is the feeling of, of, of the lack of forgiveness. It is this emotional uh, attachment to being uh, uh, literally feeling as one is in a state of lostness and no hope. That is absolutely contrary to what a Christian is to feel like. But that is how a Christian will feel who does not walk in the Spirit, but walks in the lusts of the flesh. You're going to get all of it. So you want to get, if you want to live like a lost person, you're going to feel like a lost person. That's just really the bottom line. You know, we're fortunately, by the grace of God, saved by grace. But the reality of it is, if you're going to live like hell, you're going to feel like it. You're going to feel, I mean, I guess you could write that down. If you're going to live like it, you're going to feel like it. Um, those who are walking in the Spirit are not under the condemnation of the law. That's what the Bible says here. Because obedience to the gospel revealed by the Spirit results in freedom. So freedom, it results in walking in the Spirit. And, I'm gonna, and I want to touch on this again as the Spirit, as God prompts me. Walking in the Spirit doesn't mean that you can claim you're walking in the Spirit and do whatever you want to. If you believe that, just the mere fact that you think you can do what you want to, you're proving you're walking in the flesh. You're walking in the flesh. Can I get an O oh, me? Yeah. That's right. You really are walking in the flesh. You say, well, I think the Spirit of God told me to do this, to go get myself in a boatload of debt and get something. That... That's not the Spirit of God. Don't take His name in vain. Uh, you, and then you're going to reap what comes with that. Don't do that. That is, that is so base. And, and that's what Paul's teaching here. These Galatians, by the way, you know what they did? He, this is the only letter he writes to them. He doesn't say, grace to you and, and God bless you. I'm so happy to talk to you. He says, I am amazed that you've been bewitched by another gospel. These are people that are trying to live their faith by works and their own reason and their own way. And so he ends his, his book. He says, quit walking in the, in the flesh and start walking in the Spirit. Okay? So, you have freedom from condemnation. That's Romans chapter 1. We, we want to go over there. So turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I've been camped out here for many weeks uh, studying this. I'm gonna, it's going to take me a long time to do Romans chapter 8, probably well into the fall. And uh, I think we will enjoy it, and I hope you'll study, us, study it with me. But look at, look at uh, verses 1 through 4. Romans 8, Romans 8, 1 through 4, and I'll explain this for us. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life of Christ, Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On the account of sin, He condemns sin and the flesh. That's, that's what I preached this last Sunday, that verse, verse 3. And this Sunday is, is this, the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but also according to the Spirit. Well, this, that's sanctification. That's sanctification. So, because of obedience to the gospel revealed by the Spirit, it results in freedom. You must obey the gospel if you want to have freedom. And, and what gospel are we talking about? The gospel that's been revealed by the Spirit. It's God's gospel. It's Jesus' gospel. It's not the gospel of the open minds, open doors, open hearts. It's the mind of the whole punched hands of Jesus Christ. 
Okay? And so the idea is you have freedom from condemnation. You have freedom from the law of sin and death. In Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, it says, But God bethink that, bethink that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were, were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Romans 6, 17 and 18. What a tremendous promise to you and I. And it's made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus who saw that what was in the flesh, that the law in the flesh was weak, He did by the Spirit and overcame the law in the flesh. And so because, of those, because of those walking according to the Spirit, as it mentions here in verse 4 of Romans 8, they do things against which there is no law to condemn them. There's no law to condemn them at all. So when you look at, for example, go back to Galatians 5. Let's look at 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Look, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who are crucified, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and its desires. So the reality of it is there's no law against this to walk in the way the Lord wants you to walk. And if we desire to be free from condemnation of sin under the law of God, then we need to walk in the Spirit. If you, want to, if, you want to, if you want to live a life that is free from the feeling of condemnation, then walk in the Spirit. You need to walk in the Spirit. Now you say, I, but, but James, I'm confused. There is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Well, I want you to understand something. That condemnation that's mentioned is speaking of the condemnation of the, of the actual punishment. I, the Greek word fails me. You know I'd love to give it to you. But uh, the Greek word at the moment fails me. But the idea is it's, it's the actual carrying out of the sentence. It's not, okay, so he's condemned to death. It's he's being put to death is that word condemnation. And so literally what's happening, this word condemnation is the idea is that I'm dying. Is that I'm dying. Well, listen, when I walk in the flesh, it's like I'm dying. But my nature has been changed to be living. And so it's completely opposite. Condemnation is not life. So when Paul says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, that's right. But it says those in Christ Jesus walk in the Spirit and they crucify the flesh. So the, then the bottom line is, then which is it? Whichever one you serve. If you want to feel like you're dying, dead men die, a dead man or a dead woman dying in your faith, you, you, they make, I just don't get anything out of church anymore. Uh, I'm just not getting fed. Um, that is, that I'm, when I write a book, that's going to be one of my chapters. I'm not getting fed. Um, I just had some dear friends over to the house, and uh, I fixed uh, Italian uh, for my friends. And uh, the the lady is Italian, and so we had meatballs and linguine, and we had sweet sausage and peppers, and we had Tuscan chicken, and we had shrimp fettuccine alfredo, a Caesar salad, and an Italian cream cake. Everybody ate till they popped. And would it just not be the most insulting thing for that person to have written me a card and to have said, well, I just wasn't getting fed. Well, I saw you get fed. I, I watched you and, and we celebrate and see that's what happens. Well, why would a person say something like that at church? I'm not getting fed. 
There's one of two reasons. One reason is the preacher's not doing his job preaching the Word of God. He's, not, he's, 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 he's more interested in the feeling of the people than in the transformation of the people. I can tell you this preacher isn't going to be judged. Thank God I'm not going to be judged for the feelings that I caused people to have because I can't cause you to have any feelings anyway. I'm going to be judged for the transformational truth that I have shared. So that's one. The preacher's not doing the job and that he's just not giving transformational truth. And number two, your heart is hard and you've closed your ears. That's the other one. And you know how that happens? Walking in the flesh. Walking in the flesh. And you're just a dead man's bone. In fact, this is what Jesus said. It's a whitewashed tomb. And He called that to the religious people. He didn't call that to the lost people. He called that to the religious people. So here's the idea. There's another reason why we need to walk in the Spirit, and that's so that we do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so fulfill the lust of the flesh, and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's number three. Fulfill the lust of the flesh, and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he's not mincing words here. He means what he says, and he says what he means. Um, I'm, I've grown tired of being asked, can murderers go to heaven? Um, you know, those are, those are I, I like being asked questions like, hey, did you, did you notice in the Scripture today that, that when Jesus cursed a fig tree, he was, he was demonstrating both His human nature and His divine nature? That man, that lights, my, that lights my fire. I love that. But can a murderer go to heaven? Well, let, let me ask you. Someone killed your family. Do you think they're going to go to heaven? The basis of heaven is trusting Jesus Christ and walking in obedience to Him. Okay? That's the basis. It's not what you do. It's what Jesus did and what you do with what Jesus did. So look what Paul says. There is a reference to the heavenly kingdom. This is spoken of by Christ in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Um, there's spoken of by Christ this reference to the heavenly kingdom. Let's look at our Galatians passage before I get ahead of myself any farther than I already am. In Galatians 5, look at verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries and the like which I tell you beforehand just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it says. That's, that's, that's what the verse says. Uh, we don't have to read into it. You know what? Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 25, 34. He said the same thing in Matthew 25 through 34. Uh, uh, the kingdom of God is looked forward to in 2 Timothy 4.18 by the Apostle Paul. And then it is referred to by Peter in 2 Peter 1.10-11. So you have Jesus, Paul, and Peter all mentioning this heavenly kingdom that's mentioned here. But note the emphasis of Paul. Paul puts an emphasis here and it is a double warning he says, not only am I telling you, but I have already told you what I'm going to tell you again. That's what he says here. He says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past. So that's verse 21. It's a double warning. He wants us 
to be sure that we don't miss it. Miss what? What's the context? The heavenly kingdom. Okay? We live in a day where in the 1990s you had the the you had the, the beginnings of what was known as the seeker-sensitive movement, and you, had, you moved into about the 20th year of what was known as the charismatic renewal. And so you saw in traditional mainline, not mainline, but evangelical churches, you began to see the change in worship you, style. You saw the sermons change, but what really began to happen it, besides the dressing down of the church and the getting rid of the choir and the bringing in the drums and all of that kind of stuff, which, which is all fine. But the, what began to happen that's not fine is that you began to water down the gospel. And the gospel began to not talk about sin. There is no good news without the bad news. There is no receiving the gospel until you know you're a sinner, just as there's no eradication of cancer until you know you have the disease. You've got to be diagnosed with it to treat it. That's just, that's just common sense. I think we can agree on that. And uh, so the reality of it is, is that you had this, this cancer where these men stopped preaching the unadulterated gospel and began to give an abridged message that was seeker-sensitive. And it was the seeker was believed to be the person in the pew this went on for about 20 years. And then what has happened is that now you have a generation raised in church that are called the Dunners. They're the Dunners. They've left church completely because there's nothing in the church that's any different than what they see on their television or they can listen to in their car. I mean, I know somebody that has just as many theatrical lights, it seems like, in his bedroom as a most modern sanctuary being built here in Gainesville. Um, all he lacks is the fog machine in a crystal ball. And so the reality of it is, is, that, is that you have this blight of doctrinal training. And so what, happens, what has happened then in the last 10 years is where folks have decided, well, they're going to move into this movement of the Spirit, which is in many ways rooted in the New Age that came in at the end of, at the beginning of, of the, two th or at the end of the 19, uh, 1990s. And it's just, a, it's just a spiritual mysticism that is not rooted in Christianity. And, it, and, it, and it, it is so powerful that it is dividing friends because they're just convinced they're, they've experienced something and they give Jesus the praise for it. But I will tell you, if you go look at their giving and you go look at their attendance and you go look at their relationship with people, they're wrecks. They're total wrecks. And yet they put on the airs and they have found this common lingo that passes understanding. Have you ever heard someone tell you, well, God knows my heart? God knows my heart. Well, God knows my heart on this thing. Someone said that to me the other day and said, God knows my heart. And I said, do you know, I'm glad you don't know my heart because my heart, the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked above everything. He said, well, I know you have a good heart. That's not what the Bible says. My heart is absolutely wicked. Well, see, that doesn't, you know, that didn't earn you friends. Well, that's, that's, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to build a kingdom. 
And building a kingdom is telling people how to get in that kingdom, and you're not going to serve people by telling them they can practice these things and enter the kingdom of God when it specifically says they cannot. I don't have many people that attend my congregation that live together before they're married in, in, a, in a marital relationship. I don't have many folks. You know why? Because the Bible, we know in the Scripture that we're not supposed to do that. And so they say, well, I don't feel comfortable there. Well, listen, we preach for transformation. We don't preach for, for feeling. We don't have worship for feeling. We have worship for transformation. All right. The end of those who fulfill the lust of the flesh is mentioned here. They have no inheritance of the kingdom of God. That's all it says, verse 21, right there. They will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. Look over at Ephesians. Just look over two pages. Ephesians verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5. It says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. So you know, you know what's happening today? In, in modern Christianity, or the lack thereof, people are saying that Paul is an apostate. That Paul was a false prophet. You know why? Because he's saying you can't do these things. And people want to be able to do it in Jesus' name because the Spirit's told them to do it. It is contrary. Anything of the flesh is contrary to the Spirit. You got it? Okay. So which shall it be? Walk in the Spirit or fulfill the lust of the flesh? Which is it going to be for you? Which is it going to be for me? The choice should be clear. One offers freedom from condemnation. The other one offers no hope of the heavenly kingdom. That's it. Case in point. You can either have freedom from condemnation or no hope of the kingdom. It's simply that. But Paul gives two reasons more why you need to make the right choice. Notice number four. He says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. Look at verse 24. Those who are of Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. In baptism... We died to sin, having been crucified with Christ. Now, I don't want you to think for one second, listening to this message, that baptism saves you. But baptism is the sign, it's the public profession of faith, as the Bible says in Romans, buried with Christ in baptism. Well, he had to die to be buried, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. Just refer to Romans 6, 1 through 6. Uh, so what, what was the point? So that we no longer be slaves to sin. We died with Christ in baptism that we might be free from sin to live the new life in Him. That's Romans 6, 7 through 10. So just study 6 through 10 of Romans 6 for more study on that. And as Christians, we're to continue to crucify the self. It, it seems to me folks are more interested in crucifying other people's flesh than crucifying their own. Can I get a witness? Oh, me. Well, I, I mean, there's some folks I'd fix right now if I could. Don't you know it? Don't, and that's your attitude. Boy, I'd fix him if I could. Well, we want to crucify someone else's flesh, and the command is, is that we crucify our own flesh. You can't fix nobody, folks. Not even my bad grammar. You cannot fix anyone. Quit trying. You need to worry about yourself. Jesus even said, "You're going to take the spike out of. You're going to take the speck out of someone's else's eye. Get the plank out of your own. Don't judge other people. Don't use forgiveness as a weapon. Don't use. A, don't be passive aggressive. Don't use a righteous indignation as a way to hurt somebody. 
You get the beam out of your eye before you try to get the speck out of somebody else's eye. You follow? The idea here is we continue to put to death the members which are on earth. Now that's not members in the church. When I was in seminary, it says put to death your members. And some of us were wondering who are they talking about our church members? No, it doesn't mean that. Colossians chapter 3 Verses 5 through 7 says, Therefore put to death your members which are on earth. earth. Listen to this. Fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once worked and you lived in them. Now why would he say that? Because he says, you know what? You need to give somebody a break that lives like that because you live that way too. You know, none of us, as, as Jesus said, he who's without sin casts the first stone. And thus he says, take the beam out of your eye before you try to get the speck out of someone else's. We died with Christ in baptism. We've been given a new life. What does that mean? We put off the old man and the new man. In Colossians 3 verses 8 through 11 it says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man with the renew, renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. That's what the Bible says and if the Bible says it, friend, that just simply settles it. So if we are not doing this, there is no hope. There is no hope. Now there are people that they're eternal optimists. They're optimists to a fault. And they say there's always hope. There's always hope. Well look at Romans chapter 8 verse 13. It says this, For if you live according to the flesh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Well, you say, well, we're all going to die. Well, that's the wages of sin, but you might be living a dead life on earth. That's what it's talking about. Your life will have your life, though alive, you will have no vitality. Why? You're under the curse of condemnation. You're constantly under the threat of you're constantly trying to figure out are you saved or you're not saved. I can tell you a great way to figure that out. If, if you're not just going to trust the Word of God and what it says about you, just look at the way you're living your life. Is your heart bent after righteousness? Is your heart bent after to get everything you can of the gospel and obey it? Do you walk in repentance before the Lord? Do you renounce your sin? Shared with a friend yesterday, God's not interested in our apologies. He's interested in our confession and our repentance and our renunciation to renounce our sin, to turn from it, to call it what it is, to agree with God on it, and to walk away from it. So putting off the works of the flesh, therefore, is fundamental to the Christian life. We started the process when we were baptized into Christ, when we were saved, and we are to continue the process as we grow in the Lord. Again, Sunday morning on, um, what is it, today's the 5th, this Sunday is uh, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, I guess April, August 10th, that's the 9th, on August 9th, I'm going to be preaching on sanctification. That is how God makes us holy. Tune in. Uh, I'll have on a sweater and a tie. You'll know that's the one. We are not alone, though, in this effort. Paul indicated, though, in Romans 8.13, as I just read to you, it is the Spirit that it is by the Spirit that we are to put to death the deeds of the body. That leads back to a fifth and final reason we ought to walk in the Spirit. And here it is, number five. Last of all, here it is. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk 
in the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We owe our spiritual lives to the Holy Spirit. We owe our spiritual lives to the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who made the gospel known to mankind. When I was, when I was converted in, in uh, 1984, um, I was as lost as a goose in a snowstorm and a golf ball and tall weeds. I didn't know anything about it. I'd gone to a Christian school for three years. I had no clue that I needed to be saved. I didn't know anything about it. And it was the Holy Spirit that revealed the gospel. And the term that the minister used on me was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that, that set in, in my heart that, that there was something else working. Well, it is the Spirit who makes known the gospel. That's the reason He was given at Pentecost. If you'll notice at Pentecost in the upper room, the Spirit wasn't given so they could speak in tongues. The Spirit was given so they could proclaim the gospel. That's why the, that's why the Spirit was given. That was its total modus operandi, was to go out and to share the gospel, not to go out with ecstatic utterances. As Jesus said He would in John 16, 7, 13, He said the Spirit will come and bear witness. The Apostle attributes the gospel message to the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9-13. through 13. And when one responds to the gospel of God's grace, they are renewed by the Holy Spirit. That's Titus 3, verse 5. They're renewed by the Holy Spirit when they respond to the gospel, and it is the Spirit that gives us new life which is Romans 8, 11 through 13. So, you know, we owe our spiritual lives to the Holy Spirit. And then also, since we live in the Spirit, shall we not walk in the Spirit? That's just kind of a, you know, a, a, a kind of a question that doesn't need much of an answer. Uh, it is by the Spirit that God has made our new lives possible, and it is only proper that we should live out our new life being led by the Spirit. Look what verse 18 says. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. We're to be led by the Spirit, and we're to be walking in the Spirit, as verse 25 says. So we're to be led, and we're to be walking in the Spirit. So in conclusion, we have these five reasons why we should walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Let me review them. The Spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Number three, fulfill the lust of the flesh and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Number four, those who are of Christ have crucified the flesh. And since we live by the Spirit, we should also walk in the Spirit. But lest anyone remain unconvinced, lest anyone remain unconvinced, I want to close in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. This is a familiar passage. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But to he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. I'll tell you, that tells the whole story, doesn't it? You need to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. It is physical. It, 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 the type of corruption reaped by those who give in to the works of the flesh is varied from 
that which is physical, mental, social, financial, spiritual, and look around you. Just look around. Go outside. Go into the public today. Look around you, and you can see the truthfulness of this. It is only the foolish who don't see it. It is only the foolish who deny it. You will reap what you sow. If you want to walk in the flesh, you're going to reap the corruption of the flesh. If you want to walk in the Spirit, you're going to reap what comes from the Spirit. And what are those things? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so the life that is enjoyed both now and in heaven by those who are follow the Spirit, it's mentioned right here in 1 Timothy um, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, which says, the type of life which is enjoyed both now in heaven by those who follow the Spirit, 1 Timothy 4, verse 8 says, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of life that is now and that which is to come. So walking in the Spirit is not walking in the good opinions of people because you make them feel good. It's walking in the truth of God's Word, making Him feel good. It's all about Him, and you reap the rewards. So the question that we face is this. It's the question I have to answer. It's the question you have to answer. The flesh or the Spirit right now, which do you serve? Thank you for joining us tonight. I'm grateful that you uh, tuned in. I wish you the very best this week. God bless you.